Well, hello there, listeners, and welcome to this week's episode of the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm your host, Arlene Marshall, and I'm going to be honest with you here at the top of the show that I really, really struggled with writing an intro to this episode. Because when I thought about doing this episode, there's a few things that I wanted to achieve. And when I thought about doing this intro, one of those things was to share about fat bias in a way that if you have the typical thinking about fat people in the West, that it might invite you in to be a little more open-minded, to think differently about people in larger bodies. And I also wanted to start a show in a way that would be respectful to those people in larger bodies, because I wanted to do it in a way that if you're not in a larger body, you could understand a bit more about what that experience can be like and the kinds of challenge doesn't even do it justice that people in a larger body face every day. And I thought, you know, maybe I would tell some stories about the clients that I've worked with who are in larger bodies and that they have really suffered with underdiagnosis, with misdiagnosis from medical professionals who were really just misinformed and didn't look at their very real problems that then sometimes for decades affect their health, their well-being, and their long-term outcomes. I thought maybe I would tell some stories about my own adolescence and the stress and the toll of people blaming my size for what turned out to be a genetic condition for which there is no treatment, just this symptom mitigation, and honestly, didn't really have all that much to do with my size. Or I could tell you about the practitioners who seem to be very surprised when they learn about my weight neutral position on health and wellness. And then they argue with me using very boilerplate misinformation and how frustrating and sometimes really insulting it is that they would think that I hadn't researched something that I feel this strongly about. And I know, I know myself, I know that I would get on my soapbox and I'd start preaching and that that wouldn't be as helpful as I want it to be. It wouldn't be the invitation that I would want it to be for you to think a bit differently about this topic that is so important, not only to me, not only to those clients, but to the fitness and wellness space as a whole. So instead, I'm gonna introduce our guest and then let him do the talking. So this is gonna be our first three-peat guest on Better Than Fine. And he and I have really leaned into the idea that we're gonna end up doing a series of episodes on the controversial, the sticky topics, the things that he and I feel really passionate about and we want to make the argument to you using the evidence that's currently available on a bunch of different topics. So in January, he came on to share on a title, uh, sh an episode that was titled, Do Diets Work? And you don't have to listen to that episode in order to, to get this one, but you might want to circle back. Today, we're going to be doing fat bias in public health. And then we've got a few more episodes in the hopper. So he's the content development and production manager at the National Academy of Sports Medicine, NASM. He's been in fitness for over 20 years. He's got a bachelor's in psychology, a master's in exercise science, and he's currently pursuing his doctorate in health science and organizational leadership. Friend of the pod, maybe the OG friend of the pod, Rich Fami, welcome back to Better Than Fine. Thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. This is going to be a good one. I, I think we should really start to retitle these um, rich talks while Darlene seeds with, with rage in the background. 
<laughs> sometimes not in the background, sometimes live on the mic. Sometimes up front and live. Yep. Yeah. All the way up front. Um, so if you've listened to that previous episode with Rich, you know that we're going to do things a little bit differently. So Rich is going to be giving me an education right along with you, but you'll get my real-time reactions to all the things that kind of drive me nuts. And I might ask him some leading questions along the way. He has prepared a review of the evidence about fat bias, health, and public health policy. Um, Rich, do you want to start off by telling us a bit about fat phobia, fat bias, and weight stigma? Let's go. Love Let's to. do it. Let's do it. Um, I, I think, you know, as always with these episodes, we'll probably start with some definitions and ground rules. So we all know what we're talking about and some terminology that we might be using throughout. So um, if we talk about fat phobia, weight bias, weight stigma, we can think of bias um, or you can even think of them collectively as the negative assumptions, attitudes, and behaviors toward those in larger bodies. Uh, and then the result of it being, um, you know, discriminatory actions that come out of it. Um, and really what all that bottom lines to before we really get into definitions is larger bodies carry less value mm. in society. And as individuals, we start absorbing these collective thoughts about what it means to be in a larger body. So that's, that's at the very sort of large uh, 30,000 foot view, the harm that this can cause. And I will get into how weight stigma and fat phobia can actually cause harm to anyone of any weight, not just someone who's considered uh, as having obesity or overweight. Um, if we look at the actual definitions, you, you often hear these things used interchangeably, which isn't really a big deal when we're talking about general discourse, but bias is the, the negative ideologies associated with obesity. Uh, or being in a larger body, such as, you know, uh, a person is lazy, lacks willpower, has bad hygiene, uh, low or low attractiveness, right? These, these, all this, this narrative that gets built around an individual just because they're in a larger body. And then stigma are the beliefs and actions that result from that. So bias generally creates stigma. Um, and fat phobia is something that we can consider as fear of being in a larger body. So this is what I mean by I started, you know, looking at someone who is quote unquote normal weight, um, weight or fat phobia actually creates a lot of harmful effects to someone who may or may not be in a larger body. They could be normal weight. And, and there's, there's interesting research that, which we'll get, we'll get to in a little bit, but um, sort of the effects of weight stigma actually increases the chances of you um, having obesity as well, even if you, let's say, started at a normal weight. Um, so that's kind of one thing to, that's one way to, to think about it. Um, the other thing I will say that we want to think about is um, it, it reinforces the idea that you will not be healthy or okay, or even just enough as a human being until the scale reads a certain number. Um, and, and, and I'm going to use the word fatness because that's kind of the, the common thing used when people talk about this um, on both sides of, of the issue, but, um, you know, fatness is, is one of these things where the discrimination against people who are in larger bodies is, is societally quite widely accepted compared to other forms of discrimination. So that's what we talk about when we talk about definitions. I think in terms of ground rules as well, an argument that tends to come to come up is people say, oh, I don't, you know, um, I don't think that it's okay to glorify larger bodies, right? And that's not what we're talking about. We're, yeah. There's nothing wrong with wanting to look better, feel better, have more energy, improve your health. The issue becomes is 
when we're saying that making the scale or BMI the gauge of success and a predictor of health, that's completely unnecessary and not true. It's also harmful. Um, so again, health can be, it also discounts the fact that health is a journey and wellness is a journey. We, we don't want people to believe that you're not healthy and well until you hit a certain number or a BMI target, right? So well, very long-winded thought there. No, well, there's a few things I want to unpack in there for the listener. Um, you know, I know when I've had conversations with people about fat phobia or fat bias in the past, they seem to have a hard time wrapping their head. And it's because, right, this is the nature of bias. You're so entrenched in a set of ideas that it becomes invisible to you. And the perfect example that I can pull from my own life is I very recently posted a video of me, the only try on video I've ever done on Instagram. And in the description of the video, I described myself as being in a larger body. And the number of DMs and comments I got about, oh, don't describe yourself that way. You're not big. Yeah, honey, I am. I'm six foot one. I played rugby in college. I'm a big woman and I'm not. But the assumption that being in a larger body is inherently bad is the nature of fat phobia, right? Like, would you agree with that statement? 100%. I, I think that people say, oh, <clears throat> you know, if you say you're in a larger body and people assume you're automatically um, degrading yourself, <laughs> right? Say I'm, a larger, I'm yeah. in a larger body is automatically a self-deprecating statement. Then that's an indication of bias there. And let's, let's be yes. clear too. When we say bias, we don't mean malice. We don't mean, uh, you know, poor intent or something insidious or anything like that. We all have biases. We all have sort of immediate thoughts and judgments that come up based on our on our collective or based on our background and experience and upbringing. That's not a bad thing. The whole point of this is to become aware of that. Um, the other thing we should talk about, and which we will get into, is, is the issue when bias also makes it into public health yeah. and healthcare. So that's something we should definitely discuss when as we go through this today. Oh yeah, it's definitely on the agenda. Um, so you're listening to the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm your host, Arlene Marshall. My guest is Rich Fami, and we are talking about fat bias and public health. Um, but we're setting the stage here by talking about fat bias specifically. And Rich, I think the other point that you brought up that I really want to circle back to is this idea that weight stigma, um, fat bias, whichever whichever term we're defining here, the idea that we treat people differently and we make moral assumptions about them based off of the shape and size of their bodies, and that that then has repercussions on someone's quality of life, their quality of, I'm going to say health care, because mm -hmm. the last thing that you said as you were setting this up for us and kind of laying out the ground rules was around the assumptions that people make around health and weight. And this idea that if we're talking about fat bias, we're talking about fat acceptance or even just body acceptance in general, that somehow we're glorifying the idea of being in a larger body as opposed to just looking at the available evidence around health and wellness and well-being and the detrimental effects that those biases have on people based off of the shape of their bodies. Um, do you want to color those lines in at all before we roll on? Sure. You know, the, the, it's pretty clear too. We're not talking about like, I'm not just making an assumption here when people have looked at weight bias or weight discrimination in particular, 
um, as being something that's actively condoned by society, the evidence around that's pretty clear. It, it, it basically creates a hierarchy of body shape and a hierarchy of body size. So, you know, let, let's understand and be clear about the fact that people in larger bodies are less likely to be hired or get promoted. They're paid less, receive biased healthcare and biased medical treatment, are socially excluded and bullied. And then they, it also contributes to um, their own um, avoidance of, uh, of healthcare behaviors themselves. Yeah. Right, so that that really plays into it. But in terms of the bias, those things all happen to people in larger bodies, and and we need to really be be truthful about that. And it, it's not as simple as, quote unquote, waging the war on obesity. Because what's happened is, instead of waging the war on a condition, we've waged the war on the people themselves. Yeah, and I think along with that comes the assumption that being in a big body itself automatically one-to-one means you are unhealthy, you have poor habits, you are doing something wrong. And we've certainly talked about social determinants of health on this show before. Um, but when when we were kind of framing out this episode, we'd started from this position of the why. So in your evidence gathering, walk us through, like why why are we talking about weight base when we're talking about health anyway? And does it even make anything sense? Sure. Well, I mean, you know, I think an additional point to bring up to that, because if we get to sort of why do people think this way and why are public health campaigns centered around weight management um, instead of sort of disease management, right, and health management and wellness management, we, we really need to th- go back to when when doctors are educated in medical school, um, and, and this is from, I don't know if I have this as a direct quote, but um, Dr. Scott Cahan, who teaches at John Ho- Johns Hopkins and George Washington University and is, and is the medical director for the National Center of Weight and Wellness. Uh, it's a clinic in Washington, DC. And his quote is, doctors traditionally learn nothing about obesity, not in medical school or residency. So that's the first piece of that. The rest of this is more of a paraphrase. And, and what they learn is obesity is prevalent and you're gonna see it in a lot of your patients. And it's important for people to exercise more and watch what they eat. Right, that that's about it. That's the obesity training that people get. Um, and you know, once we look at obesity as a disease, I mean, we can get to that in a sec too. But I, I want to stay on your your train of thought around problems with using a, a weight based approach. I mean, the first one is BMI is flawed. That's what a lot of these decisions are based on. Um, I think it's you know, as part of our series, we're going to take a deep dive into BMI. So I won't get into it a whole lot here. Um, but BMI is flawed. Um, and and the research based on it can be flawed. Um, in terms of if we accept that and we do look at what's available, what's available is research that correlates health to BMI. And um, BMI morbidity does show an increase with BMI of 35 plus and a shortened lifespan of BMI at 40 plus. And we should we should know those are sort of grades two and three obesity, right? Most people think if I gain 20 pounds, you know, I'm all of a sudden going to be unhealthy, and and it show and it and I should also point out this is correlation, not causation. Right? These yeah. are correlational. Um, the, and to unpack that okay. for our listener, mm-hmm. a correlation in a study is when we can look at two things and go, oh, those two things are related, as opposed to, you know, if I slap you in the face, it's going to hurt. Right? That's a cause. <laughs> and so when we look at these big BMI studies, what Rich is saying is. 
the BMI over 35, okay, you're less healthy. It's not until BMI gets to 40, which most people don't even have a mental conception of what that would look like. And we don't even know that that's the why. And having coached, in my experience, most fitness and wellness professionals have not actually worked with someone who is in that body. And I have. And the amount of stress and shame and guilt and cruelty that those people are subjected to, I would argue that that has a massive effect on that person's hormonal profile and their long-term well-being in a way that unless you know someone like that intimately, you have no idea what they're going through. And I can see on the video, I'm turning bright red because I'm just, Rich, you knew I was going to get my head and here we go. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Yeah. I mean, if we just as a society accepted the fact that people at any size, um, larger body, normal weight, body, whatever considered normal weight or whatever normal uh, weight is. The phrase normal less weight. Than can weight, we just right? say that we hate the phrase yeah. normal weight and that we yes, we use do. it because we don't have another good word, but we hate it. Yeah, I'm gonna use it. I'm gonna I want to say normal weight, normal weight based on BMI. Not not there's no such thing as normal weight. Okay. Um, but if we just accepted that everyone is fine as they are and that you know whatever their health and wellness journey is, we should just support that. Um, and we didn't have stigma and discrimination, all these negative effects that come along with it, then then people would probably have a better chance of being healthy because stigma itself is harmful. It could like you said, it creates stress, it creates inflammation creates hyperglycemia, high blood, high blood sugar, mental health and mood disorders, disordered eating and healthcare avoidance and trauma, right? These are all things that are confounding factors to um, the disease of obesity as well. So we can't just say it's weight management when all these things are a cluster. Like let's be clear that obesity is itself a, I think it's been described as a low grade inflammatory metabolic disorder and disease. Right. And there are associations with it, but there are all these other factors that research doesn't take into account. They just sort of look at BMI and, and along these, along these things, that's what makes that correlation. But if we do follow that train of thought, because that's what we have to go on, 19.5 million adults. So about 32% of people considered to be as having obesity are metabolically completely healthy. Amen. Say it again. So you can't, okay. <laughs> about 19.5 no, million, 19 million adults or, or about 32% of those considered to have obesity by whatever measures the public health world wants to use are actually metabolically healthy. They're yeah. just fine from a health standpoint. Um, and and, and that, that alone really starts creating issues with saying, focus on weight management is the same thing as health management. It, it's, and I can't take credit for this quote, but I loved it. It's like blaming fatness for heart disease is the same thing as blaming yellow teeth for lung cancer. Oh, that's a good line. I want to tie it back though, because you talked for briefly about doctors in med school, right? That doctors in med school are being told, oh, you're going to have obese patients, get them to like eat less and move more. But you're people above the obese, and, and I'm going to own it. I've said it before on this show. I have an obese BMI. And I used to argue with my fitness manager about my body fat because my FM refused to believe that I could be a trainer and be athletic and be obese. Um, but the point being, so you've got medical professionals who aren't educated in lifestyle intervention, who don't actually understand functional metabolism. They're being told that weight is an indicator of health. 
You've got a metabolically healthy adult who has an overweight or obese BMI, and that medical professional has been taught to tell that person to lose weight. So what do they do? They go on a diet. And what's that do? It causes their metabolism to become dysfunctional. So now you've lessened the health of that individual because you are only looking at weight as a health indicator. Yes? Yes, absolutely. Weight cycling itself alone in and of itself is metabolically harmful Yeah. in the long term. Yeah. And, so, and weight cycling being intentionally like trying to lose your weight, lose weight, which of course through restrictive dieting damages metabolism. And then you put the weight back on and then you do it again yes, and then you do it again and then the, you do it again. Right. Consistent uh, loss and regain of body weight. And, you know, and, and, and really the question might then be where should medical professionals start to think of, of obesity as opposed to just lose weight. And it's, it's, it's not a disease of weight, right? It's, it's its own pathology. And if, if we call something a disease, what does that even mean, right? It's, it's because we're saying it can accurately predict clinically relevant health outcomes and further pathology. And BMI just doesn't really do that very well. It doesn't. So if, and there are better ways to look at that and we should, we'll get into that in that episode, but the, if we want to also think about it, and in a weird way, it separates behavior um, from the condition in, in a healthy way. If we look at obesity being, or the issue, the health issues that arise is due, are due to the expansion of adipose tissue, not just the accumulation of body weight. Hmm. Right? Can because you I'm, unpack that uh -huh. difference, please? Yes. So the the my hate my height hate my height and weight ratio that's interesting that hate just sort of slipped in there <laughs> my hate <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's talk about my hate like, my blood pressure is like so that. high right now I like that um, the the ratio of my height and weight does nothing to really classify uh, my health or or distribution of body fat is one thing remember last time we talked about um, muscle is an endocrine organ adipose tissue is an endocrine organ. And there's actually some interplay there. I didn't dig too deeply into it, but I did find some things about the relationship between um, the amount of skeletal muscle you have and then and then a ratio to adipose tissue it was really, I don't think there was enough to make any kind of claims or even any sort of correlations there, but, th but it's interesting that that's starting to get looked at. Um, but body weight tells us nothing. So therefore BMI doesn't really tell us anything either. And then the type of body fat I have is, will determine the kind of endocrine organ I have. And the distribution makes a big difference too, right? We talk about abdominal um, or visceral adiposity as being, you know, more correlative to, to, to health, negative health outcomes. Um, so again, my weight doesn't do that. So rather than focusing on just weight loss and, and a number on a scale, let's just focus on the habits. Let's focus on living a healthier lifestyle. And, and the beautiful thing there too is, you can feel like you're on your way and you can feel healthy. You can feel well, you can feel like you're enough and you're not a lesser person before you hit a number on a scale. And to me, that's one of the biggest harms of this is, is that, is that you're not enough uh, and you're not welcome to the club until you're on a particular place aesthetically yep. or on a chart. You're listening to the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm your host, Arlene Marshall. My guest is Rich Fami, and we're talking about fat bias in public health. And Rich, I want to tie something that you just said back to last week's episode, which was on the myth that the mind and the body are separate. And one of the things I talked about in that episode was that, you know, you start eating well and it shifts your gut microbiome. And now 
you potentially are producing more serotonin, your digestion is better regulated, you're sleeping better. So then you start getting more movement and your endocannabinoid system is more sensitive to the serotonin that you're producing. And then you get a mood lift, but we're out here saying it's, you have more confidence because you've changed the shape of your body. And I think what you're saying to tie that back is you have more confidence because you feel more comfortable in yourself and you're taking better care of yourself. So you feel better. And that happens much sooner and you're more included in the wellness world. We're making a space for you. And then you're going to be more consistent and have a better long-term outcome than if we're over here shaming you because you didn't hit your goal weight yet. Mm -hmm. Spot on. Spot on. I think, I think that's the heart of a weight neutral approach. And, and, you know, when we say weight neutral approach, I think we should also include an, an aesthetic neutral approach. Yeah. Right. To, to that kind of thing or, or health and wellness, because it's really though just engaging in the behaviors do make a difference. And, and if I am someone who is suffering from weight discrimination or feeling the effects of weight stigma, that does reduce uh, my, like I said, my healthcare behaviors or healthcare, healthcare seeking behaviors and, and doing things to better my situation because I start to feel hopeless. I start to be, I start to feel fearful. Um, and it just creates this chain reaction that of course, mood disorders and all these different things that start coming about um, that make it really hard for people. Yeah. And I think even with what you've already said, that doesn't even include going to the doctor and not having a gown that fits or mm -hmm. um, having a person, I, I don't want to call it normal size, straight sized is another um, word that I have a weird relationship with. Um, a person in what we have been taught to think as a normative body, telling you what to do with your body, or my new favorite has been, if it's another person in a large body, right, your medical provider is also in a large body lecturing you about health outcomes. Um, and just the complicated relationship that then forms regardless. <laughs> um, but the, the anxiety, the stress, the, like you said, the avoidance behavior is partly because that practitioner is probably going to bring up your weight. And if you ask not to be weighed or not to discuss weight, I've certainly seen plenty of fitness professionals throwing stones at that behavior because you're just trying to be treated normal. Um, and a thing that you haven't mentioned that I think is really important when we're having this conversation is that there is evidence, and, and I don't know if you're already planning to talk about this, that people in larger bodies are not given routine medical screenings at the same frequency and availability of people in smaller bodies because they're told to try to lose weight first. Um, do you have any statistics about that? Were you planning? Did I jump the jump the gun on you? No, that's totally great. Um, I don't have stats. I think I have something talking about why that isn't, you know, the way to go, which we'll, I think we should get to in a second. But yes, the, and this actually comes down to, you know, when I mentioned earlier that um, the public health initiative is focusing on weight and the little training on obesity that physicians receive, it, it creates health problems across the, the weight spectrum or body size spectrum. Because what happens is, you know, the first one's kind of obvious that uh, someone in a larger body, the physician does not go through all of their normal diagnostic criteria or procedures, and they end up going, well, you know, you're in a large body, right? You're, you're, you're obese on this scale, and your BMI is, is 38 or whatever. So therefore, I'm going to say you need to lose weight. And as, as a 
patient because I have subscribed to all of these sort of collective thoughts about what it means to be in a larger body from a societal standpoint. I'm not going to question that. In fact, I'm going to go, well, I know. I'm just coming in to see how bad it is, right? If I, if I even come into a doctor's office. On the other end of that, it also creates issues for someone who is a, I like normative body. Um, I like that a lot. So if someone who comes in a normative body, um, I actually have someone I've been talking to a great example of it. A physician will go, oh, you're fine because your weight isn't an issue for you. And, and the person I'm thinking of, and I know this is a sample size of N equals one, but it's a good illustration of this because this happens more than you think. The person goes, well, I don't feel fine. I don't feel good, you know, and, and the doctor even said to them, well, you should see the patients that come in here, you know, compared to them, you're doing really great, referring to people of larger size. And, and so we actually get misdiagnosis of people in larger bodies and underdiagnosis of people of normative weight because of how we think about weight. So we assume that a larger person, their problem is the weight. And we assume that a normative body person, their problem can't be, you know, they, they can't have any problems because they're in a normative body. Yeah. So that, that's where it really is create, creates harm for everyone. And then obviously, like we'd mentioned to, like we mentioned a little earlier, the, the fear of being in a larger body actually creates health problems and mood disorders in and of itself um, for someone who's in a normative weight. Body. And eating disorders and orthorexia and mm -hmm. extreme exercise behaviors and diet pills and, you know, pick your variable of self-abuse that comes from perpetuating this fear that you're going to be fat. Right? Yes. Yes. And that, and that has its own set of problems. And those are things that, that are confounding variables with this weight and health research that people don't take into account or even just trauma. I mean, if you took into account, you know, trauma-informed is becoming a very widely discussed topic everywhere we go. And, you know, that hasn't been looked at in the research adequately when it comes to, you know, having obesity um, as a disease. So, you know, and, and if we kind of continue on the line of thought, if, since we're talking about public health, I think, you know, there's just an inherent issue with grouping people by their body weight or their BMI, um, because People within a group have vastly different clinical and biochemical characteristics and life experience. So it's just not valid at prediction. It's just not. So, you know, we have to be, we have to actually just get in with people one-on-one -on -one and, and spend the time and figure out what's really going on. What are, what are the characteristics that have contributed to wherever it is they're at on their weight, but really their health and wellness. Um, I will throw in one last thing when it comes to public health. There's actually a decent amount of this um, literature out there it is specific though, but if you looked up the obesity paradox, um, it's basically where patients with obesity actually have lower morbidity and mortality rates than patients of a quote unquote normal weight or who are underweight. Yep. I'm so glad you brought it up. I'm so glad oh. you brought it up because people <laughs> making the like health argument and the all cause mortality argument you know, oh, we're chasing you for your health. We're on you about changing how you move for your health. If you're metabolically healthy, you actually have a longer lifespan is what you're saying. Um, yeah. If you're a little bit heavier and there's theories as to why, but no one's really nailed down what that's on about. Mm -mm. No, I think their best theory, um, 
and it's funny that you say that because they in the research they or the paper they did call it a theory but i will say a lot of this research research is specific to hospitalized or critically ill patients yeah i think the, the other demographic that i've encountered this in is um older adults um, the, the theory being that someone has a metabolic reserve to withstand illness treatment and recovery and the yeah. demands that those bring um so yeah it, it is and i think we mentioned it you mentioned it before that if you walk into a in, as you go into your later stages of life carrying some extra weight is actually better for you and, and again it doesn't necessarily mean adiposity right um although because we're using bmi it, it doesn't you know fat free mass versus um fat mass it doesn't really tell which is which so you know in, in our world being fitness and wellness professionals we would say probably some extra muscle maybe a little bit of extra body fat, right? But, um, you know, as far as that research goes, it's it's just a BMI of, um, I think it's 25 to 30, which is considered yeah. overweight, yeah. Well, and I think, you know, we're foreshadowing some of the BMI problematic <laughs> episode mm -hmm. that we're gonna do in a couple of weeks, but essentially this idea that we don't know what the quality of that weight is um, mm -hmm. because we, don't know, right? BMI doesn't give us enough information. But some of the theories that I've read are in later life, if you suffer a fall, you've got more cushion. If you get sick, you've got a little more weight to give. And so to say that it's so cut and dry as people in larger bodies are inherently less healthy, I think we've covered enough spread here to say that's just not true. And I know I've certainly had arguments with fitness professionals where this is the borderline, right? This is where we start getting accused of glorifying a bigger body. When you start looking at the actual evidence, and this is why I started the episode with, let me just invite you to have an open mind, hear a different set of ideas, because the thing that you've been thinking as true might be wrong, depending on what is underneath it for you. And I think a lot of people haven't really challenged these ideas. They've just bought boilerplate what they've been sold. And they're not necessarily willing to challenge that paradigm of just how much of it, even something like aesthetics, right? Even something like what we think of as pleasing is social conditioning, right? It is a set of ideas that you have been sold that you don't necessarily have to buy into if you're willing to be open-minded. Perfect. Yeah. I mean, really, it all boils down to um, group sync does not equal reality. Yeah. And right. I know we both love the fitness and wellness space because we've stayed in it for so long. But dang, ding, dang, do we have some group think going on? <laughs> we Any do. Last... We do. It, did we cover did we cover the base? <laughs> yes, absolutely. I, th I think we we definitely covered some great ground, gives people, give people a lot of uh, great stuff to think about and do some research themselves. Awesome. Um, I'm going to plug at the end here, Maintenance Phase has a couple of ep excellent episodes going even deeper into some of the specifics. And so if this has wet your whistle and you want some deep, deep eyeball science, um, that's somewhere that I would point you to because they do a great job of dismantling some of these myths on that show. Um, Rich, thank you so much for coming back. I know we're planning on having you in another couple of weeks. We're going to talk about BMI. Uh, we've got some other goodies in the hopper. We're going to really pop some people's bubbles. Uh, and so I so appreciate <laughs> having you back on. 
sure it's always great to be back and and uh start poking away at uh, some interesting thoughts that have been you know firmly held in our industry because we love this industry so much and the people that we try and help so yeah i think that might be a good thing to just highlight here is that we love the fitness and wellness space. That's why we're here. And what we want is an invitation to be even better and to invite even more people into the thing that we love, which is taking good care of yourself. Um, and I think a thing we didn't necessarily talk about in this episode, but I think is really relevant is that fat bias excludes the same people that we say we're trying to help. And so I hope that this episode shifts the way that you think and that you communicate with your own family, with your own clients, with your own friends about their bodies, and hopefully the way that you think of and communicate with your body when it comes to its size and maybe meet it with some grace. Um, which if you are interested in helping clients to make sustainable change, yeah, sustainable change, that's the sentence I'm trying to say in their wellness and well-being. Um, I've got a little treat for you. So this show is on the NASM podcasting network. And of course, NASM has a wellness coaching certification that has been built by experts led by expert Rich Fami uh, and his product development team. And those experts are in, in sleep, stress, coaching, neuroscience, movement, positive psychology, and will also say as a wellness coaching course, it is a weight neutral course based in intuitive eating when it comes to nutrition. Um, I was very proud to get to be one of the contributing authors on that program, which is why NASM has given a discount code to listeners of Better Than Fine. So you can get an additional $600 off the current place on their website using the code Marshall, C-W-C, M-A-R-S-H-A-L-L-C-W-C. You'd go to nasm.org, click wellness at the top, and then use that code to get an extra 600 off the current price. And of course, I would love to hear your feedback on this episode. I'd also love to hear if there are some things that you want Rich and I to cover and dismantle in the future. And so how could you give me that feedback? Well, you could email info at darlene.coach. You can find me on Instagram. It's also darlene.coach or I'm easy to find on LinkedIn. I also want you to know that I've got a Substack where every week I post evidence-based information with application, often based in the show. You can find that at coachdar.substack.com. And of course, if you're a fan of the show, I hope that you subscribe. I hope that you share it on social. Thank you to everyone who's been leading a review so that we can build up this show. Thank you, be well, and take care of yourselves. Mm -hmm.